Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. This past Sunday was Palm Sunday. Today, you will hear a message from Pastor Roy on extravagant worship from Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, where we see the story of a woman anointing Jesus with an expensive perfume. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Several weeks ago, we were talking to our son, oldest son, Ryan, on the phone, and he was telling us that he was in one of his classes at Liberty, several hundred students there, and the professor started sharing a little bit about his personal life, and he said that he met his wife in South Dakota. So Ryan let out a big cheer, you know Ryan, just in front of the whole class, and he was, oh, we got somebody from South Dakota. He says, anybody else here in the class from South Dakota? Two other hands went up in the room, and he says, I see we got half the state here. <laughs> I thought, how appropriate is that? <laughs> um, but the story we're going to look at today had a lot more than three people. Uh, we are looking at the events. This is the biggest week in human history. There is nothing to climax this week. This is Passion Week. This was the week that all of the Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so the Romans would bring extra military force and personnel to be there because they were afraid of a Jewish uprising of so many people. So they would be there with all of their apparel and spears and various things to uh, make sure the Jews knew that they were under Roman control. And so what I want to do, I'm going to read uh, a story in Mark 14. And then I'm going to go back and kind of set the stage for you. And um, there was, there's a man by, uh, who is in heaven today. His name is J. Hampton Keithley. Uh, he was a uh, Dallas Theological Seminary graduate. He pastored 28 years. And in 2002, uh, he had lung cancer and went home to be with the Lord. I got a lot of good insights uh, for this message from him. And I just want to give him credit for that and um, share these insights with you uh, today. But as we look at this passage, then we'll set it in context. But in Mark chapter 14, it says, Now the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And this is just a wonderful story and account that happens this week or so before Jesus 
gives his life on the cross. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a moment and uh, kind of walk through with you this final week, if it's going to advance. Might have to hit it for me. It's not advancing. There we go. Uh, it's not advancing. Yeah, it's on. Might have to hit it again. Um, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the final week of the life of Jesus. The triumphal entry is the palm branches were spread on the ground like a carpet because Jesus was claiming himself to be the Messiah, to be the King of Israel, to be their deliverer, their redeemer. Jesus presents himself as the King, formally presents himself as the King. That's not advancing. It's being obstinate. For whatever reason. And here's the prophecy that is fulfilled in the gospel accounts. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This happens on Palm Sunday. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. 9. Yeah, for whatever reason, this is not advancing. Let's see. Maybe this got switched. Aha! I think there's another button on the other side. I think we got it. All right, Tuesday then, the religious crowds reacted to Jesus' teaching and authority. Um, actually, let me back up a minute. On Monday, on Monday, Jesus demonstrates his supernatural power as the Messiah. He shows his authority to rule as the king. Jesus performs two acts to demonstrate his supernatural power and authority. First, Jesus curses a fig tree. He's coming into Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree full of leaves, and there's no figs on it. And so he curses that fig tree. But here's why he does it. He's trying to send a message to Israel that you are going through all these Jewish rituals of worship, but it's empty like this fig tree. And so Jesus curses it to reject the tree, but he's really rejecting Israel. He's saying, you have gone through all this empty religion. You celebrate the Passover, but you're not really worshiping me. And so he condemns the tree as he condemns Israel. The Jewish nation he curses for their lack of spiritual fruit. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. Dwight Pentecost said it was a fit emblem of religious hypocrisy where external semblance is a delusion and a sham, a fit picture of the nation with all her ostentatiousness. I had to look that up. I'm like, man, that's a big word. Basically, he's saying you are so concerned about impressing people that you are not really impressing the Lord. The second thing he does after he curses the fig tree is he cleanses the temple a second time. They had turned his temple into a house of merchandise the money changers there are selling animals, people coming great distances, not bringing their own animals. And Jesus condemns them for desecrating the temple by turning it into a house of merchandise. And he drives out the money changers, demonstrating his authority over the temple in the religious life of the nation. 
On Tuesday, the religious crowds reacted to Jesus' teaching and authority. They attempted to entrap him with questions about John the Baptist, with questions about paying tribute, and questions about the resurrection. Jesus taught them in parables, and the religious blind leaders, he called them blind guides and hypocrites. And he showed how he was going to, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, and eventually his death would be be eminent. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, Jesus prepares the disciples for his death and continuing on in his absence. He sends two disciples ahead of him to prepare for the Passover. On Friday, he eats the Passover meal with the disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He washes the feet of the disciples, and he does all of that. On his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to teach them again about himself. Later in the garden, he's betrayed with a kiss. He's arrested and he's tried before the Jews and the Romans. He went before Annas and Caiaphas and before Pilate and Herod and a second time before Pilate. And he's finally condemned to death by the Sanhedrin for blasphemy and he's crucified. This is the context for this story of the anointing. This is the week of the events. Jesus is here. He's in Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, east of the Mount of Olives. This is a bedroom community. It's a place to get away from the crowds because the crowds swelled in Jerusalem. Jesus would go there to rest. He would come into Jerusalem during the day. He would go there and rest at night. He had his friends there. Mary, Martha, Lazarus were there in Bethany. And so he would be there. And then, interestingly enough, it says, while he was in Bethany, in verse 3, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Of course, he must have been healed because lepers would not have been around uh, at this time. So Jesus must have at some point healed him. But he's known as Simon the leper. It says, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This was an incredible act of worship and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also very unusual because women were not invited to a banquet of men. Here she is. I don't know whether she was invited or not. And she comes into the presence and just breaks this vase which held the perfume it was a long white uh, stone vase that had a, 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 a narrow neck at the top. And they, they would often use that uh, flask to anoint kings. King Saul, remember, was anointed by Samuel. He would have used a similar type of flask. Elisha had one of his protégés anoint Jehu as king. He would have used a, a similar flask, but they did not break the flask. Here she breaks the flask as an act of incredible deep devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is going to be crucified and give his life on the cross, and we see a contrast to everybody else in the house. There's an amazing difference between them. This perfume would have had a very strong smell to it. It was found in the Himalayan mountains, so it was very rare, and that's why it was so expensive of Purinard. It was used for cosmetic in hot climates. It was used for anointing the dead for burial. 
It was also used for ritual uses for anointing priests and kings. And it was considered a wonderful gift to a king because of its value. It says in verse 5 that it was worth 300 denarii, or the daily wage of a worker was one denarii a day. Now, in that time, it would have been about 15 cents. But here's the thing. It was very expensive in their day. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on her head. Her actions show her complete devotion and love for Jesus as Lord. Here's the coins. It was a Roman coin, a silver coin uh, that was used. In this act of demonstration of worship, we see three things from Mary. She recognizes Christ as king, and that's why she's anointing him as king. Now, it's interesting, in this passage, it says she poured the perfume on his head. In one of the other gospel accounts, it says she anointed his feet. It was like his whole body was drenched in this perfume to show her act of utter devotion to the Lord. It was an extravagant gift. It was appropriate for Jesus before he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey in the triumphal entry. Secondly, he was also uh, recognized as the priest, as the priest. Both mention this in, in John chapter 12 and in Mark 14, that this as an anointing. Priests were anointed, and Christ here is anointed as our priest who is about to make atonement for his people. So he is anointed. Thirdly, he is recognized as the Savior who must die. The others in the house did not seem to grasp this idea that Mary did. She knew she was a sinner who needed Christ to die and to be her Savior. Now I want to take a moment and just look at three different contrasts that we see between Mary and the disciples, and Judas, and the crowds. In comparing all three of these accounts, because we can find this account in Matthew, Mark, and John, in all three of these accounts, the disciples were angry and upset over Mary's devotion to Christ because they saw what she did was wasteful and excessive. So here's the first contrast that we see. Mary focused her attention on the Lord and who he was. What did the disciples focus on? Watch this carefully. Judas and the disciples focused on the poor. Now here's what's interesting. At Passover time, one of the customs during Passover was to give a gift to the poor. And so here, they're thinking, hey, we need to give to the poor. I mean, that's what we do during Passover time. It's one of the things we do. We give a gift to the poor. And so they probably felt pretty good about themselves doing that. But here's the point. The poor never take precedence over Christ. One of the problems in our world is we want to promote social justice over the gospel. Social justice never trumps the gospel. Whenever we engage in ministry and social justice is raised to the elevation of this and the gospel is down here, we have failed Christ. We have not given him the worship and the glory and the honor and the devotion that is due his name. Now, I do believe the church has failed in the past to consider the orphan and the widow. We've probably at times failed to do that. 
But now this pendulum can swing the other way where social justice becomes so important that we neglect to share the gospel. And why do we do that? Because the gospel is offensive to people. When you share about a bleeding Savior who dies on a wooden cross and is crucified, that is not an acceptable message. And so we would much rather give a cup of cold water. We'd much rather open a well for somebody in Africa. Those things are wonderful things, but it has to go beyond that to the gospel. And that's what I think Jesus is showing through Mary and her devotion. Our primary responsibility is our devotion to Christ. Here's what Augustine said, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Above all. And that is so vital. And we see this in this passage. And we need to see it. The second contrast we want to look at here is Mary was motivated by her devotion and her sacrifice because of her love for Christ. She was absolutely motivated. Her gift, she gave all she had. She broke the jar because she wasn't keeping anything for herself. And it isn't interesting that Jesus chooses a woman to do that. Remember when Jesus was sitting in the temple and he was watching people come in and give their gifts in the temple? Who was it that threw in the little mite? It was a woman. Who was it that saw Christ when he was raised from the dead? It was a woman. It's interesting that God chooses women in this particular situation to do this. What was the contrast of Judas and the disciples? They were motivated by greed and jealousy. I don't think they were really concerned about the poor. Judas was the treasurer. He was concerned about his own pockets because he was dipping into the treasury. <laughs> they had not really embraced the teaching of Jesus as Mary had, and their eyes were blind to the fact that Jesus was soon going to lay down his life. And their hearts were hardened. It's a lesson for us as well. Do we keep that in the forefront of our minds? I had to ask God, God, help me remember that the first devotion I need to have in my life is devotion to you. Because it is so easy to get devoted to other things, temporary things, horizontal things, rather than our devotion to Christ. Let me give you the third contrast. The third contrast is Mary was faithfully pointing people to Jesus, the Savior. It is so vital. Her life was filled with joy in her service to Christ. Now, what do we see when we go to the other passages, when we look at Luke and some of the other passages? Mary was always at the feet of Jesus. She knew what it meant to abide in Christ to have that deep devotion and relationship to Christ, an abiding presence of Christ. She sat at the Lord's feet to listen to what he had to say. And that's why I think she had the insight that this Christ was going to die and give his life on the cross. What is the contrast with the disciples? They were filled with resentment and envy. Look in verse 5. Well, even beginning in verse 4, some of them present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her 
harshly. Interestingly enough, this word here, where they rebuked her harshly, it's the same word for a snorting horse. <laughs> Men will often snort and shout and show intense emotion and disgust for people who have a deep devotion and love for Christ. If you have devotion to a hobby or a sport, you're viewed as a person of enthusiasm. If you are viewed as a person who has deep devotion and love for Christ, you're viewed as a fanatic. It's interesting. And yet I think the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mary's insight and understanding of Christ and who he was and what he was about to do resulted in complete devotion. And I think we need to have God impress upon our hearts afresh and anew, because we've heard the story over and over and over and over, it becomes old hat. Say, God, impress upon me the importance of this Passion Week, that you were giving your life not just for the world, you were giving it for Roy Burkett. You were giving it for fill in your name. God was giving his life for us in the person of Christ. So Jesus rebukes the disciples. Look down in verse 6. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And he sees through their hypocrisy. They were not really interested in the poor. They were full of jealousy and greed. And he compliments the woman's actions. And notice at the end of verse 7, he says, You will not always have me. There's an emphasis in this. When he uses the word me, he, it's an emphatic use of this word. He's saying, You will not always have the Son of God, the Messiah. You will not always have the suffering servant who will lay down his life for you. And again, what is he reminding them of? The spiritual always takes precedence over the social. Social justice, caring for the poor, has its place, but never at the expense of the gospel. Never. Why? Because social justice and caring for the poor is temporary. If we give them water and bread, we can keep them alive, but the only reason we should keep them alive is to share the gospel with them. Because if we give them water and bread, they will perish in their sin in a Christless eternity unless we share the gospel. It's vital that we do that. Fallen man needs more than social justice. He needs a savior. Without a savior, mankind is doomed to eternal separation from God. And so what does he do in verse 8? Look in verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. He explains her actions, what she had, in other words, she did. She had an opportunity to show her love and devotion to God, and she took it. She served the Lord with the capacity and ability that she had. That brings to mind a question, and am I doing that? 
Has God given me a spiritual gift that I am to use and I'm not using it for the Lord in devotion and loyalty to him? Or am I giving all to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I using my gifts and talents? Am I using my resources for the Lord Jesus Christ because of my devotion to him? It's a question. We don't all have the same abilities or capabilities. We don't all have the same degree of health or wealth. But we've all been given a gift to serve Christ. We all have gifts and talents and resources to show our love and devotion to Christ. God does not hold us responsible for what we don't have. He only holds us responsible for what we do have. And Mary is rewarded for her sacrifice. Look in verse 9. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I close with this story about Stuart Briscoe. Stuart Briscoe was a pastor for many years. And he tells this story about a trip to Poland. He was the author and longtime pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. He said many years ago during the Cold War, he says, I traveled to Poland for several weeks of itinerant ministry. One winter day, my sponsors drove me in the dead of night to the middle of nowhere. I walked into a dilapidated building crammed with 100 young people. I realized it was a unique opportunity. Through an interpreter, I preached from John 15 on abiding in Christ. Ten minutes into my message, the lights went out. He said it was pitch black. My interpreter urged me to keep on talking, even in the dark. Unable to see my notes or read my Bible, I continued. After I had preached in the dark for 20 minutes, the lights suddenly blinked on. And what I saw startled me. He said everyone was on their knees. And they remained there for the rest of the message. The next day, he said, I commented to this one man, and he said, after you left, he said, we stayed on our knees most of the night. Your teaching was new to us. We wanted to make sure we were abiding in Christ. Wow. What a fresh touch from the Lord. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, the greatest power God has given us is the power to choose. Have you chosen like Mary and given it all to Christ? Or is there something in your life that you are holding back from Christ? You haven't broken the flask of your life. You haven't poured your life out to the Lord. Or maybe you have and you've lost that first love, that first passion. And if any of us have walked with Christ very long, I think we've all lost the first love and first passion many times. 
We have to come back and say, God, afresh and anew, renew my love, renew my loyalty, renew my passion for you. If we take just a moment and we consider the different types of people in this story, we see Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. We see the disciples. They heard Jesus' teaching, but they didn't really allow it to impact their decisions and behavior. Their ears heard, but their hearts did not grasp the message and the significance of the moment. In another passage, we read about Martha. She, a sister of Lazarus, was so busy serving, she didn't have time to sit at Jesus' feet. And she got significance through her service, full of activity, and did not take time to meditate on the riches of Christ. And then there was the multitude, who was always looking for another sign, another miracle, some other thing. And eventually, it was the multitude that wanted him crucified. Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Do you realize that this Passion Week is the week, the story, the gospel story, that Jesus gave his life on the cross? He came as a king and a redeemer. He was condemned and crucified on the cross because of my sin, because of your sin. And I think we have to ask God to renew our passion for the gospel. We're, we, we, we have improved, I think, in the area of social justice, and there's probably room to grow in that, but we really need to grow in our passion for the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. What a testimony and what an example in the life of Mary and her devotion to Christ. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have no hope of eternal life with Christ. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer, as the little chorus says, for the world today. Above him there's no other. He's the only way. Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Notice I didn't say, do you attend church? Were you baptized? Uh, do you give money to the church? Do you help the poor? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you've embraced the cross on which Jesus died for your sin? And you've invited him in. You have been convicted of your sin. And you've repented. You've turned away from your sin and trusted Christ. And for those of us who have... We need to be busy inviting people, sharing with them, prayerfully inviting people this week for our Easter services and just asking God to prepare our own hearts for what he wants to do. If you have questions and we can be of help to you in any way, please see myself or someone else before you leave today. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B 
bboy.org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.